Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. On Commons People this week, Theresa May tries to break free from her Brexit prison. So today I'm taking action to break the logjam. I'm offering to sit down with the leader of the opposition and to try to agree a plan. But will Jeremy Corbyn help her out? I want the government to understand that the House does not support the deal that she's agreed. And meanwhile, there's more knife-edge drama in the Commons. The public won't be impressed by this. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Hello and welcome to Commons People. I'm Arj Singh. Uh, joining me today is Paul War, as usual. Hi, Arj. Hey, Paul. Uh, Rachel Wearmouth is also back. Hello, Arj. Hi, Rachel. And also with us is a Labour MP who's been at the centre of efforts to find a cross-party compromise on Brexit, Lucy Powell. Hello. Hi, Lucy. Hi. Um, it's another right mess this week, uh, and Theresa May has decided to try and resolve it by reaching across the Commons, grabbing Jeremy Corbyn and saying, Help! <laughs> Brexiteers are enraged and flatmates Nigel Adams and Chris Heaton-Harris have quit as ministers. Let's hear from Jacob Rees-Mogg, who's not very happy with the PM's plan. Well, I think it's a mistake to try and uh, think that Jeremy Corbyn will be the answer to Brexit. The problem is that both Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour Party and Theresa May and a lot of her top team backed Remain. So in this effort to find a compromise, who is representing the 17.4 million people who voted to leave? I think it's a fundamental problem of democracy at the moment, and the people are, are against Parliament. Parliament is about two-thirds remain and only one-third leave, whereas the British people voted by 52% to leave. Um, Paul, Jacob Rees-Mogg described Theresa May's move as a mistake, is it? Well, it is from Jacob Rees-Mogg's point of view, <laughs> because finally, after years of uh, ministers thinking that the PM might do this big, late pivot it looks like that's exactly what she's done this week. And the pivot is to finally reach out and marginalise people like Jacob Rees-Mogg. Um, and the way that you diminish their power is by actually trying to get Labour votes in hung parliament to deliver something, some kind of compromise. So obviously this is what some of the hardcore Brexiteers have been dreading for a long time. They've always been predicting it. You know, the betrayal narrative is their thing. You know, they own it. And boy, you're going to see a lot more of that. And let's see how in the next few days hours and days um, it plays out in terms of resignations there may well be more resignations I think the crunch is going to come if on Monday for example the Prime Minister say there's a set of indicative votes on Monday uh, and one of them is for a customs union for example which is a bare bones really sort of basic soft Brexit that is still anathema to a lot of uh, Tory Brexiteers. If the Prime Minister then says, I'm sorry, I'm bound by this, I'm going to go with it, that's the point, I think, at which ministers will start quitting in big numbers. Um, now, by big numbers, she can survive, what, 10 Brexiteers quitting from junior ranks? She could survive maybe Liam Fox going from the Cabinet and maybe Grayling. But um, and let's see if it's bigger than that. I suspect it might not be bigger than that. Um, Lucy, do you think a deal 
could be done? Well, I think in substance terms, a deal could be done if the if the Prime Minister is prepared to do uh, what, what Paul describes. I think it's more than just the sort of bare bones of a customs union, though, from the Labour point of view on the substance. Yeah. I think that we would be looking at single market alignment, possibly single market in goods, as the Prime Minister had outlined previously in Chequers, and critically this dynamic protection of workers' rights and environmental protections and, and, and that whole area as well. So I think it, if, as I think, the intention is to uh, look at all of those areas and, and, and move in that direction, significantly move in that direction, then I think on the substance the deal can be done. The politics of it is a whole other thing though, isn't it? And I think this is what the challenge is for both the Prime Minister and for Jeremy Corbyn right now. Politics that wouldn't have been there had these conversations really been done in earnest a year, six months, maybe even three months ago. Um, but now, really, the stakes are very, very high. It's interesting that you mentioned the Chequers plan because that kind of found its way into the backstop but was also rejected in, in other areas and is that something that Labour are putting on the table this single market and goods well I think it's something they could put on that yeah Yeah. I think it's something they should put on the table and and, and could put on the table Um, and obviously it was something that I think the Prime Minister and and the Cabinet were keen on at the time but then there were a whole set of other resignations (laughs) then and so it all sort of got watered down so because we we do need to pin down I mean that single market alignment is a very is a vague thing so I think part of that alignment is around rights and protections and standards and all of that but I think part of this is about frictionless trade of goods and I think the, the customs our customs union our customs arrangement whatever we call it gets you some of that but a sort of single market in goods which doesn't include free movement therefore gets you a bit more. I think that's really interesting actually because Lucy's right what the Prime Minister's kind of done this week is had to go back to what really she was talking about when she was looking at checkers before Dominic Raab, before um, David Davis, Boris Johnson all quit. You know, this is a thing that they thought might work. And she's also going back to Lancaster House. As Lucy says, you know, it might not be a customs union, it might be a customs arrangement. And don't forget, in the Lancaster House, the so-called really hard Brexit speech of Theresa May, she talked about this option of some kind of customs arrangement. Now, I know for a fact the people who drafted that speech thought that really was a soft Brexit and people didn't get it at the time. It was then hardened up for some... Uh, internal politics reasons in the Tory manifesto into banning a customs union but actually that was never the intention and we it's strange we might be going back to the future so to speak um, if there is any deal next week oh that manifesto <laughs> disastrous uh, Rachel you've been uh, covering the ERG backlash against this Which, um, yeah go, go it, ahead it has been huge yeah um, I doorstepped their meeting on uh, Tuesday evening and um, Connor Burns, um, who had previously been quite supportive of the PM, just described the meeting with um, Corbyn as, as frankly grotesque, which was quite strong language. And then I think I think everyone saw it on display during PMQs. Um, a lot of um, the Brexiteers saying this is a Marxist opposition. Uh, why are we getting to getting Marxist into bed? anti-Semitic opposition? Uh, Marxist <laughs> anti-Semitic um, opposition. I think it's not it's not just um, about Brexit. I think it's about particularly Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party, they have an issue with him as a leader and their their, their election campaign, should it come, will be very much centred on 
on Jeremy Corbyn himself. So it gives them a problem at the next election, particularly if they've got slim majorities. It's a massive problem. The DU put, put it right, didn't they? In, in co-opting or subcontracting Brexit policy to Jeremy Corbyn, the government or the Tories have actually, at a stroke, just undermined their big weapon against Corbyn, which is you can't trust him, you can't do deals with him. And, and among among Tories, I think I think a lot of people think that it empowers Jeremy Corbyn, but um, I, I also wonder if it sort of hands Boris Johnson a platform. He can now swoop in and be the true blue saviour of Brexit. Um, in a way, both May and, and Boris win from this week, don't they? Because Boris says he can do this betrayal thing full on, and May wins because she might actually finally get a legacy that delivers Brexit. I mean, it's not much of a win, but there you go. Yeah, I mean, look, I think she just wants it over and done with, doesn't she? Don't we all, really? Um, I mean, I do find the sort of faux outrage of the ERG a bit ridiculous, really. I mean, what did they expect her to do? I mean, there's this hardcore rump who just will never, ever, ever, they've said now they'll never, ever, ever vote for anything to do with Brexit that she's proposing, essentially. I mean, what else is she supposed to do if, if she wants? If we're going to need to get something over the line, so they, they gave her no choice at all. But actually, if they took away some of that faux outrage, they'd realise they they actually don't have that much far apart with Jeremy when it comes to Brexit. I mean, you know, it might not be everybody in the Labour Party's point of view, but you, you know, Jeremy is a bit of a He's a Eurosceptic in the traditional word sceptic, not in the kind of ERG sense, but he is he's not a sort of fully fledged, you know, everything about Europe is amazing and brilliant, sort of pro European. He's somebody who has scepticism about the, mm. the, the the EU um kind of model, which we should all share, quite honestly. But I think he he wants to deliver Brexit really. And um you know, I think I think that there's more in common there if people could just put some of the politics aside. But. I think I think a lot of the ERG also kind of regret not voting for Theresa May's deal in the first place. Now, I think um, Nadine Dorries said it when she got up during um, Yvette Cooper's debate, debate, saying, "You know, we've we've blown it." Um, and Jacob Rees-Mogg, when he spoke after the meeting this week, also said, "You know, I feel." Um, validated my my reasons for voting for Theresa May's deal flopping flip flopping at the last minute. I feel validated. So mm, it could have all been over much sooner. It could have all been but then equally, I don't know. I think if she put it back to a vote now, she'd have fifty fewer because yeah. they're so angry with her. Yeah, you know. So I think she's she. Uh, some wonder whether this is a sort of attempt to bring her deal back because now they've all seen what the other option mm. is. I, I think she's totally burnt that bridge now. I don't know what you think, Paul, mm, but I no. think. I think in, in, in many difficult. ways it, she wouldn't ever be able to just bring it back with the old strategy now because I think she's burnt that strategy and she's pivoted and that's why she needs to make a success of these talks. Yeah, I think many more want her to go specifically now. Theresa May's offer has also put Jeremy Corbyn in a bit of a pickle as well as MPs on his own side, including uh, senior shadow cabinet minister Emily Thornbury, are insisting that he demand a second referendum. Um, but the shadow business minister, Rebecca Long-Bailey, who's been involved in the talk, sounds less keen. Let's hear from her. Ideal scenario, you get exactly what you want from the Prime Minister, that wouldn't go to a people's vote. If we get exactly what, what we want and we've okay, got a great. good, strong deal, then I would, I would struggle to find a reason to put that to a public vote. OK, if you get a compromise, which is what both sides are saying that you're going to have to reach, the compromise deal, would you put that to the people? I think, well, that would depend on the terms of the deal, whether it represented a damaging deal or it was pushing us towards a no-deal Brexit in some way. And I think we'd have to assess that. I wouldn't be able to make a snap judgment about whether we would take a position to put that to a public vote or not. Um, Lucy, is this going to lead to a split in Labour if a deal is done without a second referendum? 
Well, let's see. Let's see what happens. I mean, look, it is difficult on on our side because I think views are quite polarised. Um, there is probably a, a majority of the parliamentary Labour Party who very, very strongly want there to be a second referendum. There's probably a smaller but not insignificant group in the parliamentary Labour Party who really, really don't want a second referendum, although some of them voted for it in, in sort of good faith last week in the spirit of, you know, getting anything sort of over the line. I mean, there'll be lots of debates about the exact wording of our policy, I imagine, and the conference motion that was passed and what that actually means. I personally can't see the government uh, agreeing to a second referendum as part of a deal. But I think what we could and should be asking for is that as part of that process, I think as Philip Hammond sort of has referred to uh, himself, as part of that process, we could bring forward um, the the option of a of a second referendum, and then it would be for for Parliament to decide. And I think that could be a very interesting uh, interesting uh, event to see how that happens because you might find some of the ERGs yeah. start looking at a second referendum to, to to stop a deal that they don't like that's been done between the Prime Minister and Jeremy Corbyn. So, you know, let's see how that pans out. I can't see it being locked in if we ever get that to that place as part of an agreed, these are the things that we're all collectively going to vote for. Um, but that doesn't mean to say it will it will disappear. I mean, that strategy could be quite convenient for Jeremy Corbyn, couldn't it, if it's, if it's not part of any deal but has to come to the Commons in a vote? Because... It- the numbers might not be there, and then well, exactly. Have have a second if he if he's confident, as many are, that the numbers really aren't still there for a second referendum, you give people one last chance to do it. It fails. You you think you've carried out your conference policy or duty. I mean, that's one thing. On, but on the wider point about the threat to um, you were talking about what is it, is it dangerous for Labour this whole thing? Um, I know that there was a, a senior former civil servant who's still got contacts in number 10 who texted someone senior in Labour on Tuesday night and said, tell Jeremy not to fall for this, it's a trap. Um, because their feedback was that the only reason the Brexiteers and Cabinet actually signed it off was because they thought the only game in town left was dipping Corbyn's hand in the blood and saying, look, just exploit the fact that he's a Eurosceptic, as, as Lucy says, and just use that to get him to some kind of agreement, not a formal agreement, joint agreement with the Tories, but some kind of agreement about the process, which means that actually we'll get Brexit through. Um, And, you know, it is interesting whether or not, I mean, Corbyn will fall for the trap, whether he'll exploit the trap. I'm not sure. The the interesting thing about the the second referendum as well, and you said Becky Long-Bailey had been quite sceptical. I think, really, you've got, Emily Thornberry making it clear now of total flip-flop. A few weeks ago, she was really down on a referendum, you know, really, really down on it. Now she's pivoted herself, like the Prime Minister, and said, actually, it's quite a good idea. It's in part of the policy. It's got to be done. Um, You're seeing the map, really, of the future Labour leadership contest. It's going to be a woman, the next Labour leader. It could be Long Bailey, it could be Thornberry, and it could be Angela Rayner. Two of those are really sceptical about a second referendum, Rayner and Long Bailey. If you're Thornbury, the perfect strategic thing to do is push really hard for a second referendum. So I think they might be playing a long, long game here. I suspect certainly a local party, Thornbury's local party, it's very, very strongly in favour of a referendum. She's got a lot of pressure there. But I understand there's, there's been lots of messages from CLPs across the country. And if you're interested in the leadership, CLPs across the country really matter. Do you, do you still believe it has to be a woman the next 
uh, lib leader. Well, it definitely can't be a white man, I think. Right. So, you know, maybe someone like David Lammy or, or you know what I mean, uh, possibly. But I, there will be a strong, strong push for it to be a woman, I'm sure. But you're both both parties at the moment are being and this whole Brexit debate is being blighted by people's personal positioning for future leadership contests which is uh, frankly doing us all no favours whatsoever because then it's just more talking to our bases more talking to our activist base rather than what's the best thing for the country and how do we actually break uh, this deadlock but I mean I've had different feedback to you Paul about whether this is these are genuine talks and and whether this is a uh, a trap or not and, and and I've had very different feedback through you know some of the people I've got to know recently over over some of the work that I've been doing trying to work out where the consensus lies so <clears throat> let's see as I say I think the Prime Minister has pivoted now so much that there's no going back for her um, and there's no going back for some in the cabinet either so they actually have to make this work. Yeah. And to make it work, it's not just about process. We, 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 Jeremy Corbyn, the shadow cabinet, Keir Starmer, anyone around the table, no one can agree to something that's not a significant shift towards and you know, major shift towards our demands on, on what we would support for Brexit. So, so let's see. But those demands aren't huge. It's not... You know, it's not full single market membership and, yeah. you know, a free movement of people and a second referendum and things that we know the government could never agree to. It's not it's not that far off where the Prime Minister was, as you say, a couple of years ago, yeah. really. And it's interesting, you've had dialogue with people like Ian Duncan Smith. I saw you chatting away with Ian Duncan Smith in the lobbies last night as all the votes were going on. I thought not many Labour MPs are actually that relaxed about talking to Duncan Smith and he looked really relaxed talking to you and it shows that you've got some sort of ability to go across the aisle. And I mean, Nick Bowles the other day was a very good example. You were the first person to go out and you know console him. I think that's really interesting that you've got people on both sides now talking to each other. Yeah, we, the relationships and all of that have just changed dramatically. Actually, I ended up getting the the bus, not not by uh, design, obviously, I hadn't arranged it, but I was at the bus stop and then got the bus in with Chris Heaton-Harris yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and obviously, you know, I know he shares a flat with Nigel Asams when we talk about that. So I... I was not at all surprised that he, they both resigned later that day because he was fuming on that bus ride. Well, well he was actually, he wasn't fuming, <laughs> it's probably the wrong word. He was, he was, this is completely untenable for me now. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I saw him last night. I was like, I, I knew when we were on that bus. So <laughs> but yeah, you find out all sorts. <laughs> Uh, Now, we've seen so much drama this week in Parliament, including a tied vote and MPs passing their own laws. But perhaps the most jaw-dropping moment was when Tory MP Nick Bowles quit the party after his Common Market 2.0 plan was rejected again in Monday's indicative votes. Let's hear his emotional resignation speech. I have given everything to an attempt to find a compromise that can take this country out of the European Union while maintaining our economic strength and our political cohesion. I accept I have failed. I have failed chiefly because my party refuses to compromise. I regret, therefore, to announce that I can no longer sit for this party. Nick, don't go. Come on. Honourable gentlemen, 
He's told the house. Um, Lucy, you've been working closely with Nick on this plan. Um, can you tell us what happened in the hours before and after the votes? Well, I, I, <clears throat> he hadn't planned to do that at all. <clears throat> I think he, it was just very emotional. And I think it was emotional particularly because, I mean, he's put so much into this. Um, he has... I mean, he's been brilliant to work to work with. He really has. Uh, I think I described him as patient, understanding, forensic, and steely, and and that is what he's like. And and I think he liked those adjectives as well. But you know, he he spent weeks and months talking to the smaller parties, understanding the different views on his own side, on our side. You know, we with Oliver as well. We've had you know extensive talks with Jeremy Corbyn. You know, he's put so much into really getting what he thought was a doable proposition, which is hard in this context, it was doable, um, but that met lots of different people's demands. And I think then at the at the last minute for, especially on his side, a number of his colleagues who had pledged their support publicly, privately, on WhatsApps and all sorts, lots of people had pledged their support who then didn't follow through. And I just think he found that just a bridge too far I mean this is a sort of journey I think he's been going on going on for a while but he's a great loss to the Conservative Party huge loss to them he's such a he's such what they need right now um but you know he's chosen to 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 not sit with others you know he he's made clear in Prime Minister's questions this week that he's uh, sitting as a pro- progressive conservative, and maybe a future leader or someone might be able to to entice him back. But I think when you've put so much into something and you've worked so hard to get a compromise, to find consensus, and then at the last minute, loads of people really let you down, it's quite hard. That yeah, absolutely. And R- Rachel, he's kind of kind of having fun, probably not having fun, but uh, he's saying all the things that he couldn't say before now that he's quit the party that's right yeah i mean he's had a bit of a blow off at robbie gibb um the uh, prime minister's um communications chief um he's kind of sounded off about quite a few things he's had a had a go at the entire cabinet said that they are um selfish uh cowardly um yeah i think he, he sounds quite emotional at times i think but he kind of it's a bit of a funny one, isn't it? Because do you, do you trust a man who's got absolutely who peer, appears to have absolutely nothing to lose? But I mean, he's, these interventions are probably thought out as well to to some degree because he's still trying to to get somewhere. But I think it must be it must be difficult for him because he's got such, he's had such a long history with the Conservatives as well. They set up policy exchange and served as a Tory councillor. So I think he must feel, considering everything that's happening with his local party as well, he's kind of they've picked another candidate for the next election. I think he's probably feeling that some of it must feel personal for him as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were joking. I said, maybe you should just sort of dye your hair pink and, you know, have a full sort of midlife crisis. <laughs> get, a, get a motorbike, you know, uh, go off into the sunset with pink hair. But, uh, no. but he's in good spirits about it, really, and good humour. I mean, you know, let's let's see where things go. And, it, and he's, he's also trying to help where he can, uh, both sides who are approaching these talks on a cross-party basis sort of understand where each other are coming from because he's done so much of that work over the last few weeks. So, you know, it's not like he's just sort of sitting there tweeting uh, his his thoughts. You know, he, he really wants to see Brexit delivered in a way that 
can get a consensus and can try and unite the country and he's still committed to that even though he's left the Conservative. Now we've just about got time for a quiz. Uh, this week's is on Tide Commons votes um, after Speaker John Burko was forced to cast a ballot to block more indicative votes on Monday. Um, let's get on with it. Um, when Burko made his decision to vote with the government uh, last night, he referred to the last Tide vote in the Commons when making deci- his decision. But what was it and what was it on? It wasn't it in Maastricht and it was Betty Boothroyd and it was a bit of a Maastricht bill. It was an amendment, I think. It was an amendment to the um, Maastricht bill from some of the Maastricht rebels yeah. whose name everyone uh, was mentioning yesterday, but I can't remember. And it it was the same. It was the same situation. An amendment. You can't really carry an amendment with a with a with the chair's vote. So John, somebody, I think John, somebody's amendment. Oh, that rings a bell. But I was with Ian Duncan Smith oh, at that, that point. Yeah. That's when we were talking. So right. he was he was telling me some of that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can't know. Go on. Put that out of Emma's. Yeah. Room. No. Lucy's absolutely right. That's <laughs> yeah. correct. Um, and it wasn't tied in the end. It was later discovered that there'd yeah. been an error. Yeah. Um, and a vote was struck off the eye lobby. So. Um, what was his the surname? John. What was the? Oh, amendment? I don't know. Oh, I don't you don't know, know that. <laughs> we'll find it out. <laughs> yeah, we'll we need to up. find that Next out. Next question. Yeah. There's better questions. He says quickly. So, which decade in the 20th century had the most Tied votes in the Commons. Right, was the seventies. You would have thought the seventies, wouldn't you? Yeah. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to go off piece and say twenties, just because it was a weird period. I'm going to stick with the seventies. Yeah. Yeah, seventies is correct. Um, During the minority government years under Labour PMs Harold Wilson and James Callaghan, I think there was about ten something like that. Yeah. now, during that decade, which MP was dragged to the Commons in an ambulance to decide a tied vote, having suffered a heart attack? Jesus. Doc. This is, he's called Doc, and he was the MP for Batley. Um, Doc. It was in that. It was in the, oh, the was in play, house, wasn't, wasn't it? it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, what's he called? The Doc. Oh, what's his surname? I've forgotten his surname. No, it's wrong. It's I'm out, is it wrong? <laughs> I've got it wrong. Totally. Well, yeah. Oh, um, go on. He, well, he wasn't a Batley MP. Yeah. Oh. It's Leslie Spriggs, the Labour yes. MP for St. Helens. Oh, right. Ah, yeah. uh, else completely. And Joe Ashton, who was the Bassett Law MP, recounted this incident in 1997. And basically the Tory and the Labour whip went to see him in the ambulance. And the Tory said to the Labour whip, well, he's sort of just lying there. And the Tory said, how do we know he's alive? <laughs> so the Labour whip just turned on the uh, the heart machine and the kind of green light went around and said, there, you've lost. <laughs> that's brilliant. That's fantastic. So there you go. <laughs> no. Right, that's all we've got time for. Let's finish off by hearing from uh, Tory Brexiteer Ultra Steve Baker give himself a fantastic new title. Well, everybody knows I'm Brexit hardman Steve Baker, as far as I'm aware. But yes, if anybody watched Laura Koonsberg's documentary, of course, you can see that some of these decisions are extremely hard. And particularly when you get the support of people outside, yeah, of course, it can be quite a moving experience. But, you know, history being made is tough on everybody. It's tough on the public. It's tough on all of you. And of course, it's tough on MPs. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.